So taking a look at the problem of evil, part one. Considering the problem of evil, a common question and objection about God and his character have often been made by people. Goes something like this. If God is all-powerful and all-loving, then why does he allow evil to exist? Mostly everybody wrestles with this problem from time to time, especially people who have been seriously hurt by others, people who have experienced serious loss in life. Questions we often ask ourselves is, where was God? Or where is God? Why has he allowed all of this to happen to me? Doesn't scripture say God has promised to protect us and yet evil continues to happen to us? And we ask, how long, O oh Lord, will you allow this to continually keep happening? So the logical struggle we're faced with, since God is all-powerful and all-loving and all-knowing, either God is not all-loving and God is not all-powerful, or he is evil himself. Why is there so much misery and suffering in the world? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do some people have it much harder than others? And if you were God, is this how you would allow things to continue to play out? These are questions that roll through our head. We think maybe God is evil himself. So going back to this situation here, this syllogism, either God is not all-loving or God is not all-powerful. Or he is evil himself. There's no problem with the first two premises regarding the nature of God in the sense that, yes, he is all-powerful and, yes, he is all-loving. The problem for the Christian comes in, then why? Why does evil exist if God is all-loving and all-powerful and all-knowing? How an all-loving and all-powerful God exists at the same time with evil and suffering? Why would God allow even the smallest amount of evil to take place if he is who he claims to be? So the atheist uses this. The atheist will use this to their advantage in their argument against the existence of God. They'll say if God exists, then God is omnipotent, omniscient, and morally perfect. If God is omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful, then God has the power to eliminate evil. If God is omniscient, meaning he's all-knowing, then God knows when evil exists or when it will take place. If God is morally perfect, then God has the desire to eliminate all evil. But the problem is evil exists. So if evil exists and God exists, then either God doesn't have the power to eliminate all evil or doesn't know when evil exists or doesn't have the desire to eliminate all evil. Therefore, God doesn't exist. It's a common argument given by atheists when they carry out these premises to their logical conclusion. They come to the conclusion that God is somehow not all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, or in control. 
So that being the case, either the Bible is wrong about God or God is evil himself. So the question is, how would you respond to these accusations? How would you answer the atheist if they bring up this question to you? The Christian counter, first of all, encountering this debate or this argument or this type of reasoning, we have to look and see that there is an easy counter to these objections because acknowledging the existence of evil, it forces the unbeliever to admit that moral absolutes do exist. If evil does exist, God must exist as well. An objective moral standard must exist in order to judge what is right and what is wrong. Moral relativism cannot produce moral absolutes that all people must follow. So this is one of the beliefs today, especially in our postmodern culture, is that moral absolutes do not exist. That morality is relative. That what is true for you might not be true for me, and what is true for me might not be true for you. And that nobody can force their morality upon somebody else. Absolutes do not exist. Things are relative. Things are subjective. They're opinion-based. So with this being the postmodern premise, if you are saying that evil does exist, you are already confessing that moral absolutes exist. But if you don't believe in God, you have no basis for believing in moral absolutes. It's not that we don't say that atheists can't be moral people. What we're saying is, is they don't have a basis for their moral absolutes. They don't have a basis for saying that there is injustice in this world. What moral absolutes do, moral absolute does the unbeliever, or rather actually the question is, is what moral absolute does the unbeliever use to determine what is good and what is evil? So you're saying evil exists. So you have to be using an absolute standard. What standard is that? Any standard outside of God being the absolute standard for right is wrong is relative and is subjective. Because without God, any personal standard is meaningless because it is not an absolute standard that can be applied to all people at all times. It's just your personal opinion. There is no foundation for a relative moral standard other than the person's subjection or subjective opinion. So take God out of the equation. Is abortion right or is it wrong? Take God out of the equation. Equality. Is it necessary? Are we equal? Are we not? See, if there is no firm foundation, if there is no moral law giver, there can't be moral absolutes. Because if it's just my opinion versus your opinion, or one nation's opinion versus another nation's opinion, or the majority's opinion versus the minority's opinion, you don't have objective standards. You just have relative opinion. There is no foundation to make these claims. So all it is is one person fighting with another person. One person says, this is right and that's wrong. Another person comes along and says, no, this is right. That's wrong. You're incorrect. What they All they're doing is simply giving their personal opinion on what's right and wrong. If everybody's opinion is equally valid, 
then there can never be unanimous agreement. There can never be absolutes, just opinion. But the unbeliever is forced to admit that absolutes exist. And when they're forced to admit that absolutes exist, how do they respond? Usually what they do is they use the moral absolutes against God and they judge him. They say if God does exist, then he is the one to blame for the immorality. Have we seen this before? God being blamed by his own creation. Yes, we have. Genesis 3.12. The man said, The woman you gave me to be with, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. So we see right after sin entered into the universe, or better yet, when sin entered into the human race, God's very creation turned around and blamed him for creating the woman who was alongside of him. Did not take moral responsibility, but rather shifted the morality back on God and said God was immoral himself. The unbeliever now has to affirm the very thing they are dead set against. And what is that? The existence of absolute morals. If you believe evil exists, you have to believe in moral absolutes. Otherwise, it's just simply your opinion. If you believe that there are great injustices in this world that need to be resolved, you believe that moral absolutes exist. Otherwise, injustices couldn't exist. It is a part of being created in God's image to think this way. We cannot escape who we were created to be. We all have this desire of right and wrong, this understanding of right and wrong implanted in us by the Creator. We understand that God is the absolute lawgiver who we fight with. So without the existence of God, there would be no such thing as human responsibility. It is God who personally governs the universe. The universe does not impersonally govern itself. It is God who has decreed nature, history, in human events. All of these things are to be evaluated by his standards alone, not by the subjective opinion of human beings. Human responsibility exists because moral absolutes exist, and we are created to follow God's law in everything we do. We are responsible for our actions. But if evolution is true, and we are nothing but random chemicals that have evolved over millions of years into what we are, why is there any concept of responsibility or morality whatsoever? We simply just exist. And we simply just make these things up. There are no true standards. It is just mere subjective opinion. So if God did not exist, there would be no such thing as nature, history, or human events. There would be no such thing as moral obligations. We wouldn't have this deep desire within our soul to do what's right and wrong. We all wouldn't have this concept of knowing right and wrong. We just simply would do whatever we felt like doing with no conscience whatsoever. Things would simply just be. Everything would be neutral. To put a value system on an action or a behavior is to put a standard on something. But if everything has just evolved by chaotic random chance, there wouldn't be any standards. Things would just be what they are. No values would be existing. No values would be attached to anything. There would be no such thing as injustice because that's just the way it evolved. Survival of the fittest. 
The strongest survive. So the strong oppress the weak. No such thing as injustice. It's how we became to be. The concept of injustice would never even enter into our minds unless there were moral absolutes. Moral absolutes exist because God exists. So the reason things have value is because God gives things their value. The reason human beings have value is because we have been created in God's image. The reasons animals have value, but less value than humans, is because they contain the breath of life from God, but are not created in God's image. So they have value, but not equal to humanity. But if evolution is true and we are nothing more than evolved animals, why do we have any more value than any other animal on the earth? We can't justify that. We can believe that, but we have no justification for it. And the reason morality exists is because it's based on God's personal character. We are created in God's image. Therefore, we reflect that character. So for this reason, rather than charging God with evil because we do not understand him or because we want him to be guilty, rather we should expect and concede the fact that we do not know how and we do not always understand why God allows evil to exist. So the answer is we don't know. Yes, God is all loving. Yes, God is all powerful. Yes, God is everywhere at once. And yes, evil exists. Why? God has a plan. God has a purpose. But he has not told us what it is. We are to do this. As perfect image bearers, we are to reflect his character perfectly. Out of humility and out of reverence. Understanding that God is perfect and he cannot sin, he cannot do anything wrong. Understanding that we are finite and we are limited and that our reason and that our understanding is flawed and severely incomplete of knowledge. So rather than shaking our fist at God and demand that he give us an answer, we walk by faith in what he has already told us. This being said, Human beings are fully responsible to God in their moral conduct. Humanity chose to personally rebel from God in Genesis chapter 3. Humanity chose to willfully side itself with Satan when they ate of the forbidden fruit. So evil is rebellion, a personal act of the will that resulted in being disconnected from God, which is what means to be spiritually dead. We no longer have any true desire to follow after God. We are no longer perfect. We don't have the ability to be perfect. We don't have the desire to believe in him for salvation. We gave all of this up when we sided with Satan. This being the case, God never changes his expectation or his demand for us to be perfect image bearers. We still have the responsibility of being perfect the way he created us to. He still holds us to that standard. His standard never changes. Even though we forfeited this ability in Genesis 3, Matthew 5:48, Jesus still requires, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's still the standard. So pain and suffering are the natural effects of human rebellion. This is the consequence of our rebellious choices. 
This being the case, this means that we have all contributed to the evil that is in this world to some degree. We are all responsible to some degree for the pain and suffering we experience. God is free to do, to govern, to choose as he sees fit. And if he has a plan and a purpose for evil and suffering, so be it. We, the sinful fallen creation, have no right or any basis to rebel against God who created us in a perfect state. We are the ones who cho chose to rebel. We suffer the consequences. So the importance of having the correct starting point when understanding evil, when understanding God and human nature and trying to put all of this together, we have to understand, we have to have the correct understanding of who God is and what his character is and who we are as human beings and what our character is as human beings, both in our state of perfection and in our state of sin. We have to understand how God causes something to come to pass. It's referred to as divine causality. How does God bring about something that comes to pass? We also have to understand how human beings cause or bring something to come to pass. Human causality. How does divine causality coincide with human causality? How does my choice to do what I do coincide with God and his choice to decree what comes to pass? How does God's sovereignty interact with human choice and freedom? Who has the ultimate or final say in one's salvation? Is it God or is it us? What effects did the fall have in sin on our human nature? Do we have free will or because of sin do we still have free will? Are we predetermined to do what we do? We have no choice to do otherwise. Are we stuck in a fatalist loop with no escape? How can we be free if God knows everything that we're ever going to do? If he knows what we're going to do, we can't do anything but what he foresees. How can we be free? Does God have no knowledge of the future so we can be free? So the only real way for us to be free is if God doesn't know the future. Therefore, does God not know the future so we can be free? Is God so far and distant that we are left to fend for ourselves? Meaning he created everything, but then he just stepped aside and now we are left to maintain and get by on our own. Does God sit back and allow humans to exercise their free will without God violating human free will? And then after we have made our choice, then he acts. So he passively follows humanity around and responds to what we do first. Does God not have exhaustive knowledge of the future, but rather he only has knowledge of every possible outcome that could take place? So he knows everything we possibly could do, but he does not know specifically what we are going to do, because if he knew that, then we wouldn't be free, because we have to do things the way he foresees. Does God ordain every aspect of reality to do what it does? If this is the case, how can humanity be free? How can humanity be held responsible for what they do?
So it's important out of all of these questions that we just took a look at to have the correct starting point and understanding in each one of these before we continue in understanding the problem of evil and human suffering in the existence of God and his omniscience and his omnibenevolence and his omnipresence, how all of these fit together. So studying this for some time, you start to think that the problem of evil creates many areas of confusion. The Christian trusts in God, even if their life is not making sense from their own perspective. This is where faith comes in. It trusts that God has a morally good, justifiable, and sufficient reason for allowing evil to exist. Evil is not purposeless or pointless. Evil is not random or outside of God's control. God has a specific plan for evil, even if we have no idea what that plan is. God is sovereign over all. This is the starting point of the Bible, and we see this reflected in Reformed theology. Ephesians 1.11 tells us, Also having obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. So our being predestined before the foundation of the world to be saved is according to his purpose. And it is God who works all things, not some things, but all things after the counsel of his will. God is ultimate in salvation. We saw that when we were taking a look at the last lesson on the aseity of God. God is most absolute. He's never passive. He's always active. There is never any potentiality with God. God is always purely actual, 100% God at all times. God can never be passive. God can never be in a state of potency where he could do this or he could do that. He's always God 100% of the time, completely sovereign and in complete control. So the problem of evil and suffering is not simply just a logical problem. It's not simply a philosophical problem or even a theological problem. It is these things, but it is also this. It's an experiential problem that cuts deep into our human soul. So this struggle of evil, it manifests itself when one tries to make sense and one tries to cope with the personal pain one has in their own soul, the suffering from the hands of others, the consequences of sin from other people, or the pain and suffering that a loved one that we have is experiencing. Or the pain and suffering that exists in this world in general, it's an experiential problem, just as much as if it's a logical problem, a philosophical problem, or a theological problem. There's different ways to look at it, but if we're going to be honest, it hits us right in the stomach. Christians seek the guidance of God, and when they do so, when we're walking according to the way he has commanded us to walk, the results may be completely different than what we had expected. We think if we do A and B that we're going to fall into C, but sometimes God has a completely different plan that we're not even expecting, even when we're being obedient to him. The events in our lives have very little resemblance to what they desired, meaning 
Would we have, if we were to write our own script in life, brought about the pain and suffering that we have experienced? I think most of us would say no. But God has. Why? Because he has a plan and he has a purpose for it. We may not understand it. We may someday when we're face to face with him, when he explains this to us, but this problem is deeply experiential. How does one discern God's overall purpose when bad things happen? With everything that happens to us on a personal level, how can these things be reconciled with the claim that God cares and that he provides for us? With everything that happens to the church, how do we reconcile this with the fact that love God loves and cares for us? If you read about the persecutions of the past, things that the churches have experienced over the past 2,000 years, the good and the bad, the suffering, how do we make sense of that knowing God says he loves and he cares for us? With everything that's happening in the world in general, how do we know the purpose of all the evil that comes to pass? Turn on the news, you see one thing after another. Lord, what is the purpose of all this evil? How do we make sense out of what we are experiencing? This is the experiential problem of evil. We'll be taking a look at it in the future. But just to show that there is the philosophical, the theological, and the experiential aspect to this. So we realize that the problem of pain is an argument from the soul as well as the intellect. We do not have the complete answer to this problem because God has not given us all the information. God does not always provide an exhaustive explanation for everything, but he does give us sufficient reasons and he does give us adequate reasons for why evil exists. We may not think that these are sufficient or adequate when we're going through the pain, but they are. And this is where we walk by faith. This is where we walk in humility. This is where we walk in trust, knowing God has a plan and a purpose for what he's doing. The God of the universe can only do what is right. Even if God did reveal this to us, I don't think we'd really be able to understand the extent and the dynamic of what God is doing. We have finite minds. God has an infinite mind. For the finite to understand the infinite is impossible. So we always have to keep this in mind. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God. This is where we plant the flag of mystery. This is where we say, Lord, I don't understand beyond this. I don't understand how this works. I know you are all loving. I know you are all powerful. I know you are everywhere at once. I know your promises are true. Even though what I'm experiencing right now doesn't seem to match up with what Scripture says, I'm going to trust what Scripture says over how I feel at this present time. We have to be willing to accept a certain amount of mystery that exists in our lives. We have to make sure we're not shifting the blame to God and blaming him for all the evil and suffering that's in this world. We are responsible for our own actions. We are the ones who brought sin and death into this world. And the consequences of this are we live in a fallen world spiritually dead before God. We also forget that the de ultimate destiny for all humanity is the same. Whether you're a believer or you're an unbeliever, 
Ecclesiastes 9.2 says this, It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good, to the evil, to the clean and to the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. So what we're seeing here in Ecclesiastes, evil and suffering happen to all people without exception. Evil people may not experience nearly the amount of pain or suffering than a Christian may. We sit back and we wonder why, God. Why would you allow the world and those who hate you and those who despise you, those who reject you, those who mock you, to seem like they're just floating over the ocean like a ping pong ball without any worry or care, without any suffering, without any agony, without any heartache. Yet we have these believers who have served you your, their whole lives, who catch cancer at a young age, or who come out down with this type of a sickness, or experience the loss of a loved one when they've been serving you their whole life. At times, Lord, we admit it just doesn't make sense. This is where we have to stick to the promises of Scripture, not going beyond what is written. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. We forget that God blesses the righteous the same as the unrighteous, Matthew 5.45, so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, and he sends his rain on the just and the unjust. And finally, be careful when attempting to interpret the reason for natural disasters. Luke 13. Do you think that the Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? So what Jesus is getting at here is just because a natural disaster hits or just because somebody is going through a pain of loss and suffering does not mean that it directly corresponds to the sin in their life. We have no idea why people suffer. We don't know the mind of God. We try to make conclusions that, okay, God is punishing them for this, or they did this, so therefore that natural disaster happened to them. Jesus is warning us against this. So in Luke 13, we just read verse 2. Verse 3, Jesus says, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So we all find ourselves in the same boat. We are all sinners who have rebelled against God and his created order. We are all sinners who have brought death and suffering into this world because of our actions. We are all responsible for what we do. God is all-loving. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing, and yet evil does exist. We are the ones who brought this into the world through our actions of sin, God, yes, decrees all things to come to pass. He has a plan and he has a purpose. We have to make sure we have the correct starting point when we understand the problem of evil and realize that God has a sufficient and adequate reason for why he has decreed the things that have come to pass.